You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Let's get into the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore Dania. Well, this is officially the second podcast I've recorded today, so there is not a lot of news between then and now. For that reason, I'm going to be leaning on uh, your questions, comments, and concerns, as I said on technically yesterday's episode. So before we get started, I do want to just say thank you very much to everybody that did jump in and uh, drop a couple questions and whatnot. Thank you for keeping the show alive. But without further ado, let's get started. Brandon, once again, every time he asks a question, I gotta like take a deep breath. A lot of the times, I don't even answer his questions because he'll drop a big article and it's like, all right, I gotta save that for later, and then I just forget. So I just, I'm just now remembering he told me to read an article I did not. But his question is, how much should we give Devante now? Again, it's just, it's one of those deep breathers. It's like, man, how do you even begin to uh, wrap your head around this? First of all, we got to look at the word should. (laughs) Not to get too stupid about the question. Should, from the standpoint of our salary cap, is about 40 bucks. Should, from the standpoint of what Devontae deserves, is, uh, well, let's see, DeAndre Hopkins got $27.25 million uh, on an average per year basis. If we look at total value contract, Amari Cooper got $100 million. Uh, If we look at guaranteed money, Odell Beckham, $65 million in guarantees. Fully guaranteed money, Julio Jones is at $64 million. It's funny that each of these has different... It's obviously four guys that are the highest paid, depending on how you look at things. And it's how you kind of want to get paid or whatever you guys negotiate. First of all, I'm just kind of making this stuff up obviously. But if you were to tell me to just put something pen to paper, first of all, four years feels right to me. Now, bear in mind, if we give him a contract extension now, I'm including this year right now. So it'd be 2021, 2022, 2023, and 2024, which would be his year, 29, 30, 31, and 32. So it would go until he is 32 years old. Now, maybe three years is a little bit more reasonable, whatever. I like the, uh, extra bit of cap flexibility, especially since the way the Packers structure this, by the time he hits 30, 31 years old, it's kind of like, yeah, we can move on if we really want to. Now, I know, and and this is the other thing, too, where it's DeAndre Hopkins kind of pulled a Patrick Mahomes where he really leapfrogged everybody. There's only three guys that are even at 20. Julio broke 22 million, which is massive, and then DeAndre just gets a over $27 million deal. And it's like, you know, yeah, I understand saying he should be the highest paid, I also think you could give the guy $25 million a year, and we can basically call that highest in the NFL because, I mean, it's $3 million more than the guy in second. Plus, again, if you look at DeAndre Hopkins' contract, it's not very high in a lot of other areas, especially guarantees. You look at Julio Jones, $64 million fully guaranteed. DeAndre Hopkins, 42. And total value, because it's less years, is only $54 million. Again, compared to Amari Cooper looking at $100 million, Keenan Allen, $80 million, Michael Thomas, $96 million. So the $27 million per year is one of those things that the agent really likes to flash out there so that he can impress a lot of people. You know, look how much I got my guy. But in reality, it's 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 some, some funny money. So 
I mean, even 25 might be a little bit ridiculous, but that would be kind of massive. I think if you give him 23, you're above Julio. So essentially it would be similar to Julio because, again, I'm talking four years, but it's a three-year extension. So it would be 22, well, I guess 23. Julio got 22 for 66. This would be 23 for 69. I'll, I'll put a pause in there so that you can... 22 for 69. There you go. If you know, you know. Now, interestingly, Julio's contract is almost entirely guaranteed. $66 million contract, $64 million of that is guaranteed. That's a little crazy. <laughs> it's a little crazy. I kind of like Keenan Allen. $20 million per year, $80 million total. $50 million guaranteed. So if we use that structure, it'd be about $43 million. So it's a three-year extension, $69 million over three years, $43 million guaranteed. And again, it's it's over four years because we're essentially scrapping this year so we can kind of restructure as it is. Not really scrapping this year, but you know what I mean. It's We're, we're taking it all in one lump. So it's whatever he has remaining on this year plus that and then we restructure the whole four years as is, which basically means we're going to drop this year massively to help us out. Now, maybe not so much. We'll drop this year a little bit and then drop next year massively would be the way that I would hope that that would happen because we're going to need a lot more next year than this year. And you definitely don't want to drop it too much this year so that you have to actually have a spike next year because we can't afford that at all. I'm not going to sit here live and work out how that would work over four years, but something like that feels right. Michael says, I'm too lazy to look it up, but is it true that every Packers draftee from 2019 and 2020 is still with the Packers, either on the roster or the practice squad? If so, I doubt any other team can say this. Good is the man. Let's check. So, um, obviously, 2021 is all on the team. Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, Kamal Martin, John Runyon, J.K. Sam Stepniak, Vernon Scott, and Jonathan Garvin, I'm pretty sure, is still on the team, at least for now. He is. And then Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, Jay Sternberger, Kingsley Kiki, Kadar Holman, Dexter Williams, and Ty Summers. Yeah, they are all on the team. Um, that is a fairly big feat. I, I wouldn't, obviously, I'm not going to go through every single team. I would bet somebody has that. Um, especially since a lot of these guys, I mean, first of all, we know a lot of these guys aren't going to make it long term. It, it does say something, though. I mean, first of all, the Packers tend to hang on to guys, I think, a little bit longer than other, guys, other teams. There are teams out there that'll just cut like like Cole Van Landon won't even make it to week one I'm not talking about actual Cole Van Landon he was lucky enough to get picked up by the Packers who invest time in people but I see that frequently where, where teams will just look at guys and they're like oh this guy's crap and they'll just get rid of him like dude that's that's a little intense but generally you, you're gonna especially since we're just talking about 2019 and 2020 you're gonna want to try to hang on to some of these guys or I, I said that wrong you're gonna want to try these guys out at least for a little while so for example at this particular point in time we're not even to the second year for the 2020 crew. So Jonathan Garvin, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he doesn't make the cut for this year's roster, which means he made it one year before getting cut. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe he does, especially considering the depth at edge. Maybe I picked the wrong guy. One of the offensive linemen, maybe uh, Jake Hansen, since he's a practice squad guy anyways, and we drafted a ton of offensive linemen. Same could be said of Dexter Williams, Ty Summers. But again, it does say something. Um, first of all, that they found guys that, and, and a lot of these guys do contribute. Uh, Ty Summers plays. Dexter Williams may be playing a little bit this year, or he may not make the team. I don't know. Kadar Holman may have to do some work. Um, Vernon Scott. I mean, they got guys that, that I think, at the very least, not that you feel super good about it, but at any moment, if they had to play, I think they would put them out there. And it's not like the Packers never just dump guys. I think, to this day, one of the biggest shockers as far as 
recognizing the Packers as a team that's willing to just say, you know what, this isn't working, was Vince Beagle. And Vince Beagle was supposed to be, he was supposed to be like a big deal because I remember a lot of people kind of reconciling not getting T.J. Watt by saying, dude, we got Kevin King and Vince Beagle for the price of T.J. Watt. I'm good with it, right? Because instead of taking T.J. Watt, we traded back, and then we used that trade back pick for the guy that played on the opposite side of T.J. Watt. And I liked Vince Beagle in college. I was like, he's pretty good. He was a fourth-round pick, and in year two, he didn't even make the cut. It was like, nope, this is just not working. He's just not, this is not working. So they will, if things kind of get to that point where it's like this obviously is not going to work, they'll get rid of a guy. So we'll see, but but I, I, I do tend to agree. I think he's done a very good job of, of drafting. And even if we just revisit some of the other the other drafts in, in somewhat recent memory, you know, um, just realize this stupid thing was not set up right. Sorry about that. See, for some reason, when I switch back to microphone, it automatically goes back to my webcam, which I should dis- just disconnect. I don't know why it doesn't. De- so I have to notice that it's on webcam and then switch it back to my microphone. So whatever. It, you know, such is life. What am I supposed to do about it? Anyways, if we look at the 2017 draft, obviously some of these guys, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working. So as much as I don't want to get too far into, dude, he, he got a bunch of studs like Ty Summers and Kadar Holman because, eh. But at the same time, if you look at 2017, again, Vince Beagle, that was never going to work. D'Angelo Liancey in the fifth round was supposed to be a steal. That was a bust from day one. He was gone almost instantly. Malachi Dupree, another guy that was supposed to be a massive steal. He was like a third, fourth round guy. We got him in the seventh. He was gone almost instantly. It just, it never, it was never a thing and they were just gone. So again, I'm, I'm skeptical about a lot of these guys, but I do think the Packers like several of them. Still some time for Kingsley to kind of take a step. Still some time for Jace. We still haven't seen Kadar, and I think the little bit we've seen of him has, has been pretty promising. We all seem to like Dexter, and I think the the there's a split on Ty. I don't have super high expectations, but again, he plays. Same with the, the following year. I mean, we got all those offensive linemen. All of them, I think, have a shot. Vernon just hasn't really been given an opportunity. Jonathan Garvin, I don't really expect a ton from, but again, the lack of depth, maybe. But, I mean, there's nobody here that you look at and it's like, that was just a garbage pick. Like, these guys just got to go. And the ones that maybe are, they're like the very last guy that we picked. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I overall, I tend to agree. I think Gutekunst is doing a very good job. Hopefully he gets another hit here because, you never. I mean, year to year, you can't really say he's been good so you know he's going to be good. This could be a terrible draft class. You know, Amari Rogers might just be a complete and total bust who doesn't do anything as could Eric Stokes, et cetera, et cetera. But I am hoping that that trend continues, and these are some good football players. So uh, Jesse Ochoa, and I, I think I've talked about it a little bit, but it is an important point, and I want to try to delve into it a little bit just on the off chance I didn't. But he says, how good PFF-wise was Jordan Love's supporting cast in college? How does it compare to other top quarterbacks? Were any of his teammates greater than 2020? So first of all, um, I have mentioned that it was basically straight garbage, just things that I know off the top of my head. First of all, I just recently re- uh, read to you, um, what's his name, Tyler Dunn's article. He went through talking about Jordan Love and some observations from other guys. And one of the guys, I don't know if it was his QB coach or whoever it was, basically said, if you take Tua and you put him with this team, it would have been a disaster. If you put Jordan Love with that Alabama team, with the maybe the best offensive line of football, by far the best wide receivers in football, a first-round caliber running back basically every year, Jordan Love would have absolutely tore it up at Alabama. That was his observation. 
And I think it's somewhat fair to say that, yes, a lot of these guys have had much better situations than Jordan Love did. Um, I've also mentioned in the past how, let's see, I think it was a new offensive coordinator. So in that final year that a lot of people critique, um, there was a new system, a lot of new offensive linemen, a lot of turnover that had happened there. So it's already not a good program or not a very good team, but all the guys that he was comfortable with were gone, and he had a whole kind of remake not a, a entirely, but a lot of the guys are new, and it was just a disaster. But let's take a closer look at what PFF had to say in particular, just in kind of general terms. So first of all, in uh, 2019, Jordan Love was graded as the fourth best offensive player on the team. Um, of the guys that actually played a little bit, he was the second best behind only Gerald Bright, the halfback. But if we just look at uh, the individual categories, so overall and offense and stuff, and keep in mind, again, PFF does not take into account uh, competition. So Utah State does not play as good of teams as Alabama does. So let's just say they were graded exactly the same. Utah State is still significantly worse than Alabama because they're grading out in the 90s playing garbage football teams. Does that make sense? Anyways, so whatever grade they get, just understand that it's significantly lower because they're in lesser competition. But if we look at the other quarterbacks that were drafted, um, you've got Joe Burrow out of LSU. LSU was the fifth best team in college football. Tua was at Alabama. Alabama was graded as the second best uh, team in football. Justin Herbert was at uh, Oregon. They ranked as the 12th best program in football. After that was Jordan Love at Utah State. Utah State ranked 71st. If we look, for example, at pass blocking, kind of critically important for quarterbacks to have an offensive line that can pass block. Um, Oregon had the fifth best offensive line. Alabama was 19th. What else are we looking for? LSU. LSU was actually 60th, but Utah State 77th. Now, again, remember... They're not going up against good pass rushers at all. They're 77th. LSU was, what, 60th? And they're going up against the best pass rushers in football. Utah State is playing nobody, and they can't block them. So none of these guys are getting drafted. If we look at his wide receivers, Alabama was tied for number one with Minnesota, best wide receivers in football. LSU, fifth. Oregon is all the way down here at 59th, but still not as bad as Utah State, 74th. And how about that complimentary run game, huh? LSU, second best run game in football. Alabama, eighth. Oregon, 46th. Utah State ranked 114th out of 130. So yeah, I mean, the other guys had good programs. These have very good coaches. They have very good offensive lines. They have very good running backs. And they have very good wide receivers. Jordan Love had none of that. And that's part of the thing when you go back and look. I mean, even if you look at his really, really bad games, the really, really bad games are mostly only really, really bad statistically. I think some of his best games are some of his worst games because the guy's going up against bigger programs. He's got nowhere to go. He's got no time with the ball, and he's just trying to make stuff happen. But uh, since we're sitting here in the college realm, let's take a look at what uh, JJ sent me here. I saw your message on Twitter, JJ, by the way, but I did not want to look at it or open it because then the message goes away on my notifications and I would forget, but then I see you put it here on Facebook. So anyways, he says, thoughts on quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty. This is a 2022 quarterback. I know I've looked at him already. Um, I'll get into a little bit more of it, but um, 
there's there's a couple different categories of quarterback, and there's a lot of guys with a lot of high-end potential. There's a pile of them that are small school guys that are just dominant in that small school realm that, you know, I don't know how you determine whether or not they're going to be good NFL quarterbacks, but Malik uh, Willis falls into that category. But um, six foot one, 215 pounds, got an 85, uh, 85.7 overall grade. Um, this was his, his first full year. So he was at Auburn, played in 27, 2018, a little, 2017 and 2018 a little bit. Um, and then 2020 he goes to Liberty and obviously is the starter there. Doesn't necessarily have to be a negative. I know there's a, you know, some people think about that, like, well, he's not good enough to hack it at Auburn. Not necessarily. Um, it could just be that he's behind somebody and is like, I'm not going to sit and wait. I just, I want to play. So I'm going to go somewhere else. And a lot of guys will, will advise you not to do that, but you know, it is what it is. But, uh, 2,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, 7.1 big time throw percentage, which is really high. Although as turnover worthy plays, 5.3%, I think is also relatively high. I'm still trying to get acclimated to these, but I know like two-ish percent is where a lot of these guys are hovering at, somewhere between one and three. So 5.3 I know is high, but I also, so in other words, he's, he's, he's kind of got that Brett Favre mentality, right? He's slinging it. He's throwing some amazing passes and the, the interceptions are, are low, but it might be kind of Pat Mahomes low, right? In other words, really high turnover worthy play percentage, not as many interceptions as you would expect, which is possible that if he wasn't playing for Liberty and was playing for Alabama and going up against, you know, better defenses, a lot of these intercept or a lot of these bad passes would be interceptions. I'm somewhat speculating, but I'm also kind of just reading into what the stats are, are saying. So I, I guess if you're just asking me what my thoughts on Malik Willis are, they're not overly high. I think playing for Liberty, you have to be just dominant across the board. And we'll see what happens in 2021. This is his opportunity. But you look at guys like uh, Trey Lance. I mean, the guy was just killing it in every single category. So you kind of set aside your concerns about the small school. I have a slight suspicion that the interceptions may go up a bit this year, but again, maybe not if the you know competition level is so low, maybe it just won't. But he also could light it up. You know, again, big time throw percentage. But I think if you just put them side by side with a lot of the other quarterbacks that are in there, I don't I don't necessarily know. I don't know where he would fall because um, there's there's some pretty stiff competition. Um, it is worth noting he ran for over a thousand yards, had 14 touchdowns on the ground, which is going to be it's again sort of like a Trey Lance thing. You, you got to be really good in every category. If you've got the legs, that's another added bonus, and he definitely has that. The the biggest issue though, massive fumbling problem. So if you're going to be a guy that takes off and runs, but you have a massive fumbling problem, which is, I mean, the only guy that I can think is comparable is uh, Daniel Jones. He only ran 78 times. So 22% of the time when he ran, he fumbled. That's staggeringly high. Can you imagine if Aaron Jones, once every five times he ran, he fumbled? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking it's, uh, it's a big thing. But we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time looking at this as the year progresses, especially as we get closer to um, the actual football season, because once college football starts up, it's something else to do, right? Find some potential Packers prospects that are playing on Saturday and, you know, watch them. But anyways, why don't we take a break here? Cannot believe it's already 9.30. I really thought I was going to rip through this and go to bed early. But uh, if you haven't yet, please check out patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. And I really, really appreciate all the patrons. And again, if you are listen, if you uh, are a subscriber on Patreon, you can listen to these episodes 
the night before they go live and it is completely ad free. And again, you can get that for just a buck a month. So think it over. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Fun question from Mr. Jeff Nelson in the Facebook group. He says, which of the rookies will become a starter first? Which one will be the most impactful come playoff time? So first is going to be tough because there might be multiple that are playing on week one. I mean, it's, re- it's really just a question of which, if any, are, are playing week one. The first one that comes immediately to mind, and I do think he's going to start, I think he's going to start week one. Not necessarily because he has to, it just it feels like it's going to be a thing, just based on the lack of experience of the other alternatives anyway. So even if we're going to say we like to have guys that know what they're doing more so than guys that don't, like rookies. If you look at the offensive line, you know where I'm going now. Spoiler alert. A lot of the guys that are there don't have a massive amount of experience. So I think Josh Myers is going to play right away. Now, there's the question of competence as well as his ability. I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to be a dominant football player. He may not be. There's, you know, plenty of scenarios here. But that one makes the most sense. Again, Eric Stokes, he may be the guy week one. I just, I would be really, really shocked, excited. And I don't mean that in a negative way for Kevin King. You know, obviously wish the best for him and whatnot. But it would be exciting because that really speaks very highly of Eric Stokes and what we have in him. But I just don't think that's going to happen necessarily immediately. Not to say he won't see the field, but I just don't think he completely takes over. He's the guy, he's the starter, and Kevin King is, is maybe rotational or whatever. I don't know. Similarly with Amari Rogers, I would be willing to bet he gets playing time week one. Um, I mentioned how I think he's going to get a ton of targets and all that stuff. I think they ease him in, though, because they have that luxury. They have guys that know what they're doing. They've got plenty of veterans, including Devin Funches, who's going to be in there in the mix. So I think Amari is going to be a rotational guy that's going to be a little bit down the pecking order, has to work his way up. Uh, Royce does have an outside shot. 
just based on he can work his way in. I mean, if, if he is a, let's just say he plays at guard and is really good at it, or possibly even tackle. I mean, if he ends up being, I mean, we need a really good right tackle. Not to say Billy can't do it, but I think the Packers would love if we could have a guy like Royce play tackle and kick Billy into right guard and put Josh Myers at center and keep Elton at left guard. And obviously Bakhtiari, at least when he comes back at left tackle, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dream scenario. Technically, you could say the same about Cole Van Landen. The only reason I don't give him as much um, thought is just, just the massive amount of competition and the fact that he's a sixth-round pick. But it, it, it's the exact same thing. If he steps in, he's dominant, he's got a spot. Um, you could say the same for Shamar Jean Charles. And in fact, he actually might have a better chance of starting week one than Eric Stokes does. Because that slot position is a little bit more wide open. Now, I like Chandon Sullivan. I think he's he's going to be the guy in the slot week one. But I don't know that the Packers are completely sold on him. I just think it's one of those things where he's just the only guy we've got for the most part. He's kind of it. And I, and again, I don't mean that in a negative way, but if Gene Charles is a real good football player, like let's say Eric Stokes and Gene Charles are real good football players, I think Stokes, they'd be a little bit more hesitant to, to just push King out of the way, you know, partly just because of what the job is. I mean, it's big time football, man. I, I just, I, I tend to think maybe they'd be a little bit more willing to just put uh, Shamar out there in Chandon's spot. I mean, if he just flat out wins the job. Um, I mentioned I did like McDuffie. I don't really have super high expectations. Um, and then Kylan Hill, obviously, is not going to be a starter unless some serious tragedies have befallen the team. However, the interesting part is the second part. Which player is going to be the most impactful in the playoffs? This is tough. Myers, you could just leave it at Myers, although it's really hard to gauge that, to say that your center was the most impactful rookie in the playoff. I think the obvious answer is going to be Eric Stokes. If you look at how devastating Kevin King was in that game, and he wasn't the only issue. We had several guys that just did not play well enough. Billy Turner in particular, if anybody was worse than Kevin King, it was Billy Turner. There were a lot of guys. I've mentioned the defensive line, almost no pressures. I think the only guy that got like a single sack the whole game was was uh, Kenny Clark and that he didn't do much else other than that the whole game. But if you can have, uh, you know, first of all, I want to look at the defense. The defense is going to be pivotal. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. We've got the offense. The one thing Aaron Rodgers has been lacking, it's not wide receivers. He's had elite wide receivers his entire career. It's not offensive line. He's had dominant, some of the best offensive lines in football basically his entire career. The one thing he hasn't had is just a dominant, scary, elite defense that is super, super stingy. If you get Eric Stokes to take over that job, and I do expect him to do that at least by the end of the year, there's no guarantee of that, but I'm, I'm really hoping that's the case. If he can step up and be a dominant force, there's no question that's going to be the most important piece. You could potentially say Amari Rodgers, obviously if he becomes a real Randall Cobb, you know, eight reception possession guy. And I mean, that's, that's obviously massively important, especially when you look at how the offense kind of stalls out at times. I think if you got a guy that, that you can just rely on, especially when things are stagnant. And, and, and to be completely honest, I think Amari could be a massive piece if he meets his full potential, because that is a problem for this offense. Far too often, it just stagnates. We've got Devante, but that's, that's kind of it. Other than that, you're kind of waiting to see who's hot and who's cold. And even so, I mean, what are you getting out of Alan Lazard on a good day? Like four receptions? They might be big plays, but who's just those, re outside of Devonte? who's the guy you can count on, play in and play out? Like, we just need a first down. We need some momentum. Who's going to help you get some momentum? You could just say Devonte, but if they're just double him up, I and mean, if you're having a hard time getting that chemistry going, the, the offense completely shuts down, and sometimes the team just isn't going anywhere. 
So you need a guy that can just kind of get this thing fired up. He's, he, he might not get you some big plays, although he can. But if, if the offense is having a hard time going, you can use him in so many different ways. I mean, you could just use him as a straight-up slot guy who's just going to get you a quick six yards on first down. That's a heck of a, of, of a way to get this drive started. Second and four. And then we put Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon in the backfield, and let's just see if we can have a little bit of fun. Or you got the jet sweeps. You can put him in the backfield. You can do so many different things with him as a chess piece when things are stagnating to just kind of get this thing turned over. But I guess that would be my answer is uh, Josh Myers is the first guy to get the full-on starting role. Um, Eric Stokes has my vote for the guy that's going to be the most impactful for the Packers as far as the playoffs and beyond, which kind of goes to show why it was a really smart first-round pick. I could easily say Amari Rodgers, but let's be honest. When you're talking playoffs, when you're talking about games on the line, when you're talking about getting this team over the hump and into the Super Bowl, is it really a slot receiver or is it like a corner? I think it's a corner. That's why that was my answer. So again, just kind of hammering, not that there's anything wrong with a wide receiver or upping that position group, but I mean, if you want to get over the hump, I think it's defense. Tom Brady left how many interceptions just hanging up there that we couldn't capitalize on? We had him halfway flustered with no pass rush. Imagine if we had pass rush and even better DB play. We'd embar- we would have embarrassed Tampa Bay in Lambeau, but couldn't quite get over the hump. Gave him too many opportunities. Anyways, we got one more question from Mike Evans. Glad to see uh, Mike Evans is in the Facebook group. Does look quite a bit whiter than I remember, but I won't uh, hold that against him. He's still a great football player, and I respect his career. He says, which player-for-player trade would you take for Roger? Non-quarterback trying to have a fun question. I don't want him gone. Just if there was no choice or players and draft pick. I get it. So again, don't beat the guy up. It's just, it's just for fun, right? Let's just play with it. So Rodgers has to go. You're not allowed to get picks. You're not allowed to get multiple players. You're not allowed to get a quarterback. Who's the one guy you're taking? There has to only be one answer, right? And I, and, I, and and listen, and we can have more fun with this, with, with making it even harder on myself, but I think Aaron Donald would have to be the guy. And that actually is not the worst trade in the world. Now, I don't think it can happen based on the, you know, Matt Stafford being there and, and his contract situation. I'm not entirely sure how that all works out. But, you know, and I don't think the Rams would want to ever give up Aaron Donald, but at the same time, it's for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if you had to put a name to it, who else could it possibly be than Aaron Donald? And man, would that be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, again, not saying it's awesome that Aaron Rodgers is gone, but let's say it is Jordan Love. Let's say he is a decent quarterback, but he needs a little bit of help. Okay, revamped offensive line, dominant running back duo, Devontae, Amari, and the rest of the gang. You got Tunyon there. We'll see what Jace can do. We still got Josiah, which again, remember, that's a whole other dynamic to this offense. That is a really cool dynamic that I'm excited about. And then we have the Amari dynamic, which there's a lot of overlap there. But oh my goodness, this offense is going to be stupid. I, I'm just it's, just, it's just occurring to me how many different things that they can do and it's hurting my brain. And that's not what the question is. So I'm going to try to stay, you know, stay on task here. But just, just think about what Josiah does. And it, it's funny because it, it, they all kind of overlap a little bit. But that just makes it, that just makes it the, all the crazier. Because again, the the, I'm way off task here, but I'll, I promise I'll come back. The central point of the offense is doing things that look identical, but they're not. We're gonna line up this way, and even after we snap the ball, we're gonna do something. But what do we do after that? It looks exactly like a run play up until 
like a second or two after the ball is snapped, then suddenly something's a little bit different. And when you got so much overlap between what guys can do, it just, oh, I don't know, man. I'm excited. But okay, so we got we got Jordan kind of running this thing. But on the defensive side of the ball, Zadarius, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, and Aaron Donald, and Eric Stokes and Jair, and Savage and Amos. If that team doesn't win a Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers or not, I, I just, you know, Jordan Love has have to be just terrible. Like, absolutely awful, terrible, disgusting, useless. It's unfair to have that much talent. It's borderline unfair how much talent the Packers have now, and it's kind of embarrassing that they're not winning Super Bowls. They're doing a good job, but let's go. But dude, you put Aaron Donald on that team, that's ridiculous. If I had to find a more... See, I'm, I'm making this harder than it should be. I should just leave it at Aaron Donald. Um, if I had to pick somebody, let's say, that uh, you know needed a quarterback and could possibly move on, maybe T.J. Watt. Maybe we just bring that thing, thing full circle. He's still one of the best players in football. He was the fifth highest graded um, defender in all of football. He's only 26 years old. He had 75 pressures and 15 sacks last year. He's had two elite years back-to-back, just two elite pass-rushing grades. Um, the year before, so in, in his last three years, he had 13, 18, and 15 sacks. Steelers obviously looking to move on from Big Ben. Um, it's still a decent defense without him. Aaron Rodgers with uh, Juju and whatnot. You know, I think I think you could make that work. You could, I mean, you could have said Khalil Mack, but obviously that's the Bears and they just drafted a quarterback, so that doesn't work. Um... That might be it, man. I mean, Miles Garrett is up there, but you know they already got Baker, Brian Burns. I mean, he had he had a good year, but uh, that's not that's not enough. There's no way in good conscience I could take a linebacker. Uh, I don't care who it is. There's just no way for Aaron Rodgers. Never, even wide receiver. I mean, you know, wouldn't want to. I mean, you could, Justin Jefferson would be a guy that kind of makes sense aside from it being the Viking. But I mean, you're talking. I mean, what is the guy like? 14 years old, second best wide receiver in the NFL as a rookie at 21 years old but i just a wide receiver for the mv the the a quarterback who's an mvp i just don't know if that's going to be enough i mean it would have to be like the best in football and i don't even know if if you can trust justin jefferson every year so it would have to be like a julio but julio's 500 years old so that doesn't really work you know michael thomas i guess with for new orleans but again is that enough especially since he had a down year and was hurt half the year Maybe DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, Arizona, I don't think they want to get rid of their quarterback, and what are they without DeAndre Hopkins? Point is, it has to be a DeAndre Hopkins-level guy. We're, we're getting best wide receiver in football if I'm getting a wide receiver. Um, offensive lineman, if you were to get, like, a tackle, Trent Williams for San Francisco, I mean, or Mike McGlinchey. How about that one? That's their right tackle. He is 26 years old, incredibly talented. Again, I don't know if it's enough compensation, but San Francisco would obviously, I mean, well, they see, they already got a guy, though. I think we got it, man. I think I think uh, Aaron Donald, and if you want to be more realistic, then we're going T.J. Watt for the Steelers, I think makes the most sense. Player for player. Is a pass rusher as important as a quarterback? No. But I think if you factor in Aaron Rodgers having maybe three years left and T.J. Watt being 26 years old, Although, how many years does a pass rusher have? What's he going to have until he's maybe maybe 32? So it's five years, and Aaron Rodgers could easily have five more years. Anyways, that's all I got for questions for the day, so I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>